Welcome to the Corecast, where we interview Jewish leaders and discuss issues relevant to the Jewish community in Canada and around the world. I'm your host, Richard Rabkin. My guest today on the Corecast is Bernie Moskov. Bernie is a campus rabbi, an entrepreneur. Um, a jack of all trades, and also the the founder and driver behind the Innisfil Project, a upcoming housing project in the GTA for from families. We're going to get to that in a second. Thank you, Bernie, for joining me on the Corecast. Thanks for having me on the show today, Richard. Excited to be here. Okay, great. So before we get into all of this exciting stuff that you're doing, maybe we could talk about you a little bit and about your background. Yeah. Bring us into the, the Bernie Moskov journey. 100%. Well, you know, I, I'm born and bred in King City, Ontario, which is uh, a little bit unconventional. Um, grew up in King City. as the only Jew in my school, actually, growing up, which was actually an incredibly positive, uh, enlightening experience, which has a much longer story to it. And uh, at the ripe age of Bar Mitzvah, um, I uh, embraced, discovered Yiddishkeit, Judaism, and and me, along with two of my older brothers, I have four older brothers in total, were five boys. Uh, and two of my oldest brothers uh, went on a trip to Israel to a place called Or Sameach, and I've heard of it. <laughs> reconnected with uh, with Judaism and uh, fell in love, and basically stayed in Israel forever and became very successful there. And at that same time, I also. Uh, started to to learn and eventually over the course of that year I switched from my public school to near Israel Yeshiva which is definitely a, a paradigm shift if you can imagine wow for <laughs> sure from King City to near Israel yeah it was, it was to it was the King's City that's right, right. <laughs> and uh, subsequent to that just from you know from my brothers uh, my next brother right above me he uh, he also became uh, uh, from two years after me. Uh, and that creates four out of five of the boys that are, are connected, and and uh, the three brothers that are Shomer Shabbat today live in live in Israel, and I do have one brother here in Toronto in Forest Hill, and we're all very close, and uh, um, all my brothers and, and myself have uh, smicha, so that, that, that created a lot of nachas for for my parents. Wow, it's really nice rabbinic family. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> so what at what grade did you go to Neris Ralph? From? Started fresh in grade nine at right right in the beginning. And and I mean you alluded to it the fact that that was a tough transition, but does anything stand out as being particularly challenging or rewarding? Uh, rewarding, yes. I was a bit of a celebrity uh, joining uh, Nair at that time because it's definitely an unconventional path to go from uh, King City uh, Public School to to you know, all boys yeshiva, and not an entry level yeshiva. Um, I had some tutoring on the way to, to catch myself up to to almost the level there uh, at the time, and uh, it, it was it was a big big transition. But I, I gained a lot of friends right away, lifelong friends, and it was it was just a great journey. Those uh, four years in in high school, it was, it was really special. Well, wow, I'm glad it was a positive experience for you. Yeah. So, okay, so take us later on in the journey. So I guess the, it sounds like you got smicha maybe in Israel. You come back to Toronto, um, and there was a campus rabbi or, or Kiruv jaunt for you? Well, yeah, so so to fast forward, after high school, I spent two years in, in Israel in yeshiva and Mikdash Melech, 
Uh, although not Sephardic, my, my neshama is very Sephardic, trapped in an Ashkenazi body, I think. I know the feeling. <laughs> and there's a, a bit of Hasidus in, in me as well. And um, following those two years, I, I went to uh, York University and majored in business and political science and uh, got married quite young. Uh, Hashem had you know, special plans for me. And uh, immediately at that time, I went into the corporate industry, actually at, at an automotive head office uh, in Mississauga. That was my first job. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, I was swept into the world of Kirov. Uh, always being close with uh, with Rabbi Jacoby, but I was offered a job at the time from NCSY to be program director for two years, which was wonderful. And then I got brought back into the business world for about eight and a half years in the construction industry, and then brought back it once more into the campus care of world with Orsa Meach for about six and a half, seven years, and more recently with NCSY, working with their alumni. So I'm really split. I have a passion both for business and for Wow, that's a, probably a unique skill set, and, and I would imagine that there's some cross-pollination there in terms of being able to relate to both people and kids and, and being as, that, that you have this background uh, and experience in the corporate world. Absolutely. I mean, I, I've, I've, I've been able to take some of the uh, cues from the business world and apply them to, to the Kira world, uh, particularly... Um, you know, speaking with you know grad students and people that are you know more mature and more growing up, and 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 showing the beauty and the richness and the warmth of of Judaism, uh, and you know from a much more mature perspective, uh, and is, there's a lot of great appreciation for that. And I really really enjoy working you know and learning with with you know wayward Jews that are looking to reconnect with their heritage. That's beautiful. So it, it sounds like um, you know your your life's passion is really solving problems in the Jewish community, and it seems like the next problem on Bernie Moskov's radar <laughs> is uh, is you know the cost of living, housing in general. So uh, maybe you can kind of paint for us a picture of what the problem is. I, I know I mentioned the Innisfil project, and some listeners might be familiar with it, and some might not be. So we'll get into the details. But but maybe first of all, you can kind of paint a picture uh, of what the issue is. I know that you know the Kiddush Club in Shul. This seems to be a favorite topic of conversation, but you probably have studied a little bit more. So let let us in into in terms of what the the issues are. So you no, know, it, it's a great segue because I. Uh, working as a as a cure rabbi, ideal and, and 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 rabbis, you know, real rabbis who have shuls and deal with with congregants with with real problems. I mean, the problems start very young, and people confide in you, and you have to be careful and only advise what you know, and then refer them when when there's things that you don't know. And working with students and growing up and holding their hand through the process of reconnecting with Judaism, and in that vein, you know, eventually they get married, and you're still not done your job. You still have to hold their hand, and then dealing with marriage issues, etc., etc. Um, the job never really closes. You're not you're not done, right? You act as a rebbe, as 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 a mentor, and that job goes on uh, indefinitely. In that in that uh, time span, what I realized was many of the problems that young couples are experiencing in Toronto is which is no big secret, the, the housing crisis. Simply unaffordable housing. Uh, people can't get into anything. They don't even have an option how to explore it. It's, it's so hopelessly hopeless. And um, I was very frustrated by that. And I wanted to do something about it. 
and uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago, was the first time uh, I and a few other people made a, a foray into that sort of uh, area of can we find a solution, a workable solution for you know Toronto young families, uh, you know, in our community that are really really suffering. And the reason it drove me so strongly is because I was realizing this was another layer of stress being put into a into a marriage, which was just so unnecessary and so solvable. Um, you know, there, there are so many stresses already making making a Parnassa in Toronto, just working out Shalom bias and, and and you know you know marriage 101, you know first year of marriage and figuring it all out. There are so many layers. I thought I thought you know maybe there's a way to take away one layer at least. And let people have peace of mind, have some yeshivadas, and 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 find a home, and maybe even chip away a little bit at, at, at their equity. So, what? So you mentioned it's impossible to get into the market, and you know, anecdotally, I hear the same thing. But it sounds like you've studied the issue a little bit more. So, in terms of a house, let's say what we call down south Toronto, or in Thornhill, or different neighborhoods, what are you hearing from people, or what are the entry points? Uh, in terms of price point and how difficult is it for people? Well, I'll just, I'll just mention uh, at the very beginning here. I'm not a I'm not a developer. <laughs> I'm not a builder. Uh, I'm not even a contractor. Although maybe I wouldn't mind being one. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm not um, demolition. I think I would specialize demolition. in demolition. Just <laughs> just pounding down the yes. walls. Anything else, I don't think I could do. It's a great form of stress release for right. sure. And 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 uh, the reality is. I, I don't profess to know anything about these things. What I like to do is ask the experts, the people who are proven and know what they're talking about. And I've become very accustomed to doing this uh, almost on a daily basis now, speaking with with uh, very accomplished people, you know, developers, and as many of them in our community, Baruch Hashem, and they're they're very open to sharing and dispensing their advice on these on these matters. So I, I've made it a point to to, to go out of my way and uh, and consult these. Uh, you know, consult these uh, accomplished people. Okay, so what are the ex- so, so what are, the, are your experts telling you about the cost of real estate? In well, the cost of real estate. I mean, it, it's it's pegged at an artificially high rate, and that's no secret. And when we look at the landscape, just but one example, you know, Bathurst and Lawrence. If a, if if a couple would want to get into a affordable, you know, in quotes, affordable, you know, uh, entry level home. Uh, you're going far in excess of a million dollars for a home that may or may not be livable, but will certainly need hundreds of thousands of dollars of work uh, to be done, uh, you know, to that home. Contrast that with 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 any new development outside of the city. It depends again how far you want to go. If you go 30 minutes versus 40 minutes, you know, sometimes that could be a hundred thousand dollar difference. It's quite remarkable. You know the the community that that we've identified after looking at a, a score of different communities um, has an option here where you can get into a single detached, beautifully designed home, a high quality home at that, uh, for the low mid six hundreds. Again, this is a single detached home with three to four bedrooms, a couple extra bedrooms in the basement, which can be built without any problem, uh, even by the builders themselves, which is the best way to do it. And take that coupled with uh, sometimes a gamach type of program, which I'm working on uh, developing now, uh, similar to what some of the shuls in Toronto have, where you can borrow fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars interest-free up to ten years if you qualify. This is something I'm working on now, and, and so far it looks pretty good. The, the endorsements I'm getting from 
the funders who would put the money into that into that fund uh, for first-time home buyers. That makes it even more palatable. I think a major hindrance here is a lot of young families, first-time home buyers, are so scared and they don't know what's involved in buying a new home that they, they indefinitely live in in uh, you know in a small apartment and often spending easily over two thousand dollars a month and building zero equity uh, versus this really really what I think is an incredibly attractive option. Okay, so basically what I hear you saying is that in the down south area in Toronto, you're looking at about 1.5 million plus, sure. right? Maybe it's close to two. Um, or perhaps Thornhill is around a million dollars or so, I would imagine. Yes. Um, and, and so you're exploring a project where, you know, homes could potentially be in the 600s. So, so again, just to speak out the issue, uh, I imagine that the commitment of a million dollar home is challenging enough as it is, but when you're responsible for tuition and, you know, all the other costs that come associated with, you know, li- living a Jewish lifestyle, it complicates it even more so the fact that it's just not even doable for many people. Correct. I mean, you know, Baruch Hashem, you know, our lifestyle is replete with a lot of beautiful things, but it's a very expensive lifestyle. You know, Pesach, Sukkot, these are very expensive holidays. Uh, even cheesecake's expensive on Shavuos. I mean, these are, these. It, it's, it's, uh, the weekly Shabbos part. The, the tuitions are exorbitantly expensive and they seem to go up every year for some inexplicable cosmic reason. Um, there are many cost-saving measures that are actually realistic and, and can be applied in the mathematical model. For example, tuition is a very big one, a very sensitive one. And there are ways uh, certainly to, to run schools far more efficiently uh, we have wonderful schools and, and not to criticize the schools or the FINF it's, it's phenomenal uh, but there are ways to run much more efficiently and for, but one example to not have you know so many multiple senior level staff doing similar types of jobs there are ways to to uh, explore better efficient cost saving techniques here which ultimately could bring down and should bring down tuitions take that coupled with the cost of living and food and and of course, you know, managing a mortgage, which is sometimes upwards of eight, nine hundred thousand dollars or even more, people are often living way beyond their means. And if a young family is not fortunate enough to have a, you know, wealthy parents or wealthy in-laws, it really becomes untenable at that point. Right. Okay. So you saw this problem. Most of us have seen it, and as I said, talk about it at the Kiddush Club. But I guess it sounds like you decided to do something about it. So walk us through your process of either getting a few um, community-minded people on board or investigating some different projects. How did that work? Well, I mean, if we go back to the beginning, like three three years ago, um, the seed was really planted. Uh, uh, friends of mine, uh, Joe and Ann Feldman, actually uh, had you know this idea. Really, really was Mrs. Feldman, uh, Ann Feldman, who uh, we were talking about this idea, and then it really developed into investigating different communities. And Joe, such a wonderful fellow, and has oodles of experience in in, in law and real estate law, and very well connected, uh, along with uh, Amiel Diamond as well, who uh, was instrumental uh, in in the first run, sort of, of, of looking at this. Uh, problem and finding finding solutions, and we looked at various options, many many communities, as we did recently again. And at the time, 
this very community, Innisfil, and the same developer was in phase one, and that was an extremely attractive option and for many different reasons, one of them being the market was very smoking hot and, and the prices had gone up more and we couldn't secure the number of homes we wanted. We couldn't explore that. And then we had resorted to another option in Caledonia. Uh, but that location wasn't didn't have the same curbside appeal. After a lot of analysis, a lot of consultation with experts in the field uh, and developers, friends, Rabunin, uh, this option became more and more attractive for a, a myriad of reasons, which I could get into if, if you wish. Yeah, sure. So, okay, yeah, absolutely, get into them. But basically, I'm just kind of mapping out your process here is that you got, uh, it sounds like a small group of people, some passionate, some experts, and you said, let's take a look at some communities that are outside the GTA that are potentially more affordable. And I guess, obviously, the model here is let's find a builder who's building a, a community already and carve off and come to an arrangement with him to say, okay, we want 40, 50 homes, whatever the number is. And so, so you're not you know, building something from scratch. Right. And, and, and the truth is what some of the listeners here today on, on the on the, uh, on the CoreCast uh, podcast, That's right, the CoreCast. You got uh, all about the CoreCast. That's right. Bring it to the core. Uh, what many listeners may not realize is how uh, laborious, how intensive the process is to find the right developer and the right builder. And it goes far beyond the scope of, of, of integrity and quality and price. There are so many other factors here uh, that are involved. Um, developing that rapport with the developer and uh, negotiating to the benefit of our community. You know, uh, in volume, when we come in as a group, that, that there's much greater negotiating power. Uh, you know, both to bring down prices. Uh, and, and, and reroute money, further money to go back into this community because we have to have a, a plan for a Kiyumis to sustain the community. How is that going to work? Um, you know, the, the plans to have a kolal there, a community kolal from day one, and a, a school, a, a gun, and younger grades where kids uh, categorically cannot be commuting, uh, you know, in excess of 50 minutes to an hour to, uh, to Toronto. Uh, that's just not an option. You know, looking at communities, uh, what we've done, we've analyzed communities across the United States, uh, dozens of pop-up communities. Uh, we discovered that American Jews are much more transient. They're ready to pick up and go in, in a heartbeat. And Canadian Jews are not, and I don't know why. It, it, it's really the subject of a, a you know, psychology study, I think, because... Many Jews in Toronto are from America, but they act like Canadians. And and you know, I wish I could be joking about it, but it's a real it's a real bona fide challenge because what just one example, Richard, is, is you take um, you know you have a, 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 a simcha, a family simcha, and you need to go from Brooklyn to Manhattan. So how long is that drive? I'm not a big New Yorker, but it, it's 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 over an hour. Over right? an hour, I think, yeah. And Brooklyn to Lakewood, I think, is an hour and a half or thereabouts. And um, without skipping a beat, you get in the car and you go to drive from Bathurst and Lawrence, heaven forbid, across the border of Steeles Avenue right. to Thornhill. All joking aside, it, it's a big deal psychologically. Yeah. It may be benign, subconscious, but it's a big deal. People often make decisions on schooling for their children based on one mile closer, even if one school is better than the other. I, I've, I've, I've seen this directly, and not just theorizing here. However, you know, if you would have a simcha. In Waterloo, let's say, and you're in Toronto, 
Nobody is going except the Bubby and Zadie, maybe. Right, right. No one's getting in the car and going. So this has been a real challenge. And even though we have, you know, there's transportation options that we've been exploring, including having a coach bus, not a school bus for children and adults, there's a GO train right there. Um, you know, in, in Barry South, which is Innisfil, there's a GO train service, and they're even putting in a high-speed electric train, which is many years away. But when that train goes in, it'll be 30 minutes from Union Station to Barry. If and when that happens, that'll change the landscape of, of, of just the real estate market forever. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I think that uh, Canadians or perhaps Torontonians are a little bit more reticent about moving. I myself moved. I'm from Vancouver originally. Uh, and it's a beautiful place, exactly. And so I, I, I'm sensitive to it, even though I did it. But I think that one of the reasons is, is that we feel like we don't have a lot of options. What does that mean? People here, you know, if you're, you and your spouse are Canadian, so, okay, you can, you, what are your, your choices? Moving to the States is actually pretty challenging because, you know, <clears throat> thank you, Donald Trump. Um, oh, I think there's other factors too, right? That's a but, big one. Right. So you've got the Donald Trump factor in the United States. And then you're, are you going to move to Vancouver? The community is pretty small and actually cost of living is more expensive there. You're going to move to Montreal, you know, so you have a language issue, um, and, you know, job issue and what have you. So what really are your options? I think that it, it's maybe for the feeling is just, um, well, I, I have no other choices, so I'm kind of here. And obviously the fact yeah. that the family's around too helps. But I, I think that in the states where you see it successful, people move to Cleveland, Atlanta, Boca, Houston, wherever. There's so many options where people feel like they can do it and they've seen yes. it work. Yes. So It's a very insightful point, Richard. I mean, the, the reality is Canadian cities with Jewish populations uh, for the longest time have not been growing. They've either been staying steady or slightly dropping. Now, whether it's Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Ottawa, Montreal, uh, Montreal in particular, which is a notably huge Jewish community going back several decades, and, and even at the time of the referendum, the original one, I forget what year that was now, um, you know, the, the numbers have just been dropping and dropping and dropping, and Toronto has generally been growing. Now, um, going to one of these Canadian cities, I mean, Vancouver is also completely unaffordable, so not, it's not a, a, such a realistic option. Again, I don't profess to know all the demographics and pricing. There could be some cheap neighborhoods, too, near a shul. I don't know. Um, however, um, these communities have, have had problems growing for such a long, long time. And what's very frustrating to many people, including myself, and by the way, I'm not. I, 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 thankfully, I'm not looking for a home myself. This was not driven by a, a, a personal need, and heaven forbid, I don't mean to. I'm not tooting any horns here. I felt the need so badly in the community, and I would love to live in the country, and I would love to live in Hinnisville too, um, for many, many different reasons we haven't even addressed. But look, to answer your question, these other Canadian cities have not been able to grow, and. Uh, in the United States, you, you referenced some cities in the States, some that are very popular, particularly if a spouse, one spouse is American, you've got an entry point, is, you know, cities like Detroit that I know quite well, where you can, you can jump into a, a home, an older home, you know, like the track housing for post-World War II, but they're nice homes, and $200,000, you're good to go. And cost of living is pretty low. Nobody makes any money in Detroit, but you don't need money. <laughs> right. You could sell your house in Toronto. And buy a block bu- and bu- rename it, you know, uh, Richard Rebin Manor or something. That's right. I think no. I'll name it the Corecast <laughs> Avenue. Corecast Avenue. 
and 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 Cleveland is also a popular location. And you know, these are wonderful cities. I'm not here to promote those cities today, but they're wonderful places to live, and I've been there. But you don't have to go to America if you can, if there's a, if there's a realistic option and staying much closer to mommy and daddy. I've had some questionnaires submitted on, on the on the website, timetomove.ca, which miraculously was available. It was the first one I looked up, and I'm not even a creative guy. I, just, I put in time to move, and it was a Canadian domain. It came up. I like it. I went with it. It was easy to remember. We've had some submissions from people in New York City, Baltimore, and Lakewood, uh, and, and the reality of bringing back some expatriates, if that's the appropriate term, back home. Right. Justin we, Trudeau will welcome you. I think, you know. <laughs> and, 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 and I think this, this, this has got enormous potential. You know, we're picking up steam right now. At the same time, I want to just tell the listeners, I don't want to create false hope. You know, you have to be a bit of a dreamer and a little bit crazy. Um, but as the Panovich Rav once said, you know, when, it, when he was talking about building the grand famous Panovich Yeshiva and you're in the middle of the the desert, essentially, B'nai Brak, and with all the sand, and he put down a stake, and he said, here's going to be where Panovich is. Um, they said that you're dreaming, and he said, I may be dreaming, but I'm not sleeping, right? So I'm not by any way, shape, or form comparing myself to the Panovich already, <laughs> but uh, it's free to dream, and I've got, uh, so far, a lot of support from some very, very important uh, leaders in our community, Gaviram, not to mention the Ligra Bunim in our community, uh, these are very, very important factors. One should never get into something like this flying solo. It's a very dangerous proposition. Uh, things have to be done properly. And one of the fears is because there's so many moving parts, Richard, we've got, uh, you know, setting up a, a, a gun in younger grades. There's the colo. There's the young community. Uh, and, and one important notable uh, factor here is that a lot of these young families, the, mo- the number one question I receive is, who's going? Right. I want to know who's going. And what we've done is created a contract, which will be coming out in about a week's time to interest interested families, is uh, it, it delineates in that contract when we hit an uh, X number of families, then those contracts become real. So what we ask families to do is put down a small sum of $2,500, which is put in trust at a law firm in, uh, in, in Toronto, and it sits in the trust fund. When we hit that number... It becomes transparent to that closed group, and they can decide once more, okay, are we in, are we out? And if the person's out, if that family's out, they get their full refund. If they're in, then that money goes towards the deposit for their home. Which so is they can see... Deposit, a, right, they can see at that point who the other... Precisely. Is. Okay. Because if you work it in a way where there's a date or a deadline, I know people in our community don't like deadlines and they want information. It's very tricky servicing this group of clientele because there's a lot of requests, a lot of asks, a lot of things like that. Um, another common question is one of, you know, what will the homes look like? Well, I say go check out the model home. You know, Bel Air Shores, it's open on Sundays by appointment during the week. Uh, they're the most stunning um, beautifully built homes. So can layers. you give us some of the details? What, what are they? Yeah. First of all, I, I mean, I've mm-hmm. been to Innisfil before, but not everybody has. So maybe you can just sketch out some of those details, exactly where it Absolutely. would be and, and what the houses would look like. So fill in some of those common yeah, I mean, questions. For those who, who uh, are on Google and type in 1010 6th line Innisfil, that's the, actually where the show homes are. That's the, the model home suites. There's seven gorgeous, gorgeous homes. Um, beautifully furnished as well. 
I would like the highest grade Italian furniture. The homes don't come with the furniture. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's a little deceiving. You see the stunning home. But it's all there on the Bel Air uh, website. That's Bel Air, B-E-L-L-E-A-I-R-E. With the E's at the end there. And, and then what? They're usually, what, four or five bedroom, 3,000 square feet? Well, the What's homes the start. Uh, the classic entry level, you have 36, 42, and 50 lots. The 36 homes, uh, the models that would make sense for our community start around 2,400 square feet. Those would have three bedrooms, some have four upstairs in the entry level. Uh, basements are absolutely enormous and typically unfinished, but the builders will finish those basements. Where you can easily put in two bedrooms on the entry level homes and three on the larger homes. The larger homes that are already, you know, mega bucks, we're talking, you know, low 800s for 3,500 square feet. You know, you add in three bedrooms in the basement and, and a five bedroom configuration up top. Now you've got an eight bedroom palace with a lot of room to spare in the basement. Um, you know, the plot itself isn't that big considering it's the country, but you do get a piece of land. You get a very big home, a beautifully built home, as I've said a million times in this podcast, because they're really, really that nice, and I would let the product speak for itself. But to address the area, a lot of people don't realize, even people submitting the questionnaires and expressing interest, is that there is infrastructure there already, which is shocking. And this wasn't the main reason we went to... to to uh, Innisfil, but there's a there's been a from community in Be- in uh, Belluert for a long, long time. I think over half a century, if I'm not mistaken. I believe Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, the gut of the door, had a cottage in Belluert, and I think it's even still there. If I'm not mistaken, so you can't go wrong, right? You can't go wrong, and 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 that uh, that shul, the Belluert Hebrew congregation, as it's listed on Google Maps, has a mikvah as well, which is technically operational all year round if there was a demand. That uh, that mikvah is about probably a 35-minute walk from this uh, site, uh, but the site is about a 10 to 11-minute walk uh, from the Tent City congregation, which is another from shul uh, that is north of Belyort uh, congregation, and it's right on the sixth line, and and you can actually see the development from the from the shul. And I've been in contact with some of the members of the board of that show who have been extremely welcoming and accommodating and to the point where they even would offer using that shul, you know, in the off season, you know, to house a kolel for a, a temporal amount of time until we build a, build a proper shul kolel and maybe even community center, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, so, so we have, we already have the shul you go to and the shul you don't go to. You okay, have the good. Two shuls. Check. <laughs> so it's checked off. We've got the mikvah, which is which is non-negotiable. You have to have a mikvah, and, and we're working on the kolel now, and this is extremely exciting. When people ask me questions about, you know, what are we going to do about kosher food, right? I, I kind of shrug that off and laugh because that's such an easy question to answer because bringing kosher food, most products anyhow, to the Sobeys, which is five minutes away by car, and, and other large uh, grocery stores that are six minutes away, uh, in the proper town of Innisfil, which is just north of this development, uh, those types of things are very, very easy to, to manage. Don't forget, in a regular day, when it's not rush hour, it's 45 minutes to Toronto proper, um, w- which is not so bad if you have to go visit, you know, mommy and daddy, or, or whatever you have to do, or, or commuting for that matter, which is a sensitive topic as well. 
So, okay, so basically you have a couple shuls, a mikvah already there. You have basically, um, you know, some of the basic fundamental things that you'd need in Innisfil, Sobeys, or some other grocery stores that you mentioned. Um, so, so okay, so those things are kind of taken care of. I guess the surroundings also is, uh, you know, is more beautiful than, than downtown and the GTA, right? It's a little bit more picturesque and there's water and et cetera. Am I, am I right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Right. So so I guess it would appeal on that perspective in that you're also getting an upgrade in terms of the, some of the surroundings and a little bit more of a, a slower pace or what have you. You know what, Richard? You're right on every count, but uh, many of the people in our community aren't looking for that, at least yet, because they're city slickers. They've been living in the city their whole life. They don't even realize the beauty, grandeur, and... and life benefit, quality of life quotients of just living in the country, living by the lake. The lake is right there. I mean, it's probably a 30-second walk from the 10 city uh, shul. Um, so you're right by the water. You've got country air. You have a slower pace of life. Uh, those, those types of things are real tangibles. And I don't know if you can attach a price to that. Um, having that quality of life and the kids can run outside and play... Um, to me, because I'm a country boy, I grew up in King City, and I love cottaging and living by the water. This this is an absolute dream uh, to have that type of a lifestyle coupled with the important critical aspects of from community. I think uh, as this gains more traction, this selling point will become one that could be marketed. But right now, it's it's almost premature to market those points. Although they they make so much sense to 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 you and I, I I, I don't know. If that's the main point right, right. now. So you're saying it's not a primary driver, but if people not. get invested and they get up there and they're going to realize, wow, Precisely. this was a really nice secondary benefit. Precisely. I think when when when, when the, the young families and older families, which are also interested here, you know, they, they go up there and they look and they see and touch these homes and they walk around the area and they see the, the bustling from community in the summers, which is hundreds of families. I mean, I think they have two minyanim in each shul in the peak season in July, August. Um, it's a real game changer. You know, when you go there physically and see it, instead of being on a website or hearing about it from a friend, that really seals the deal. And, uh, and, and you know, it, it's our hope that this is going to, to, to take off and, and, and really provide an opportunity for, for, for literally hundreds of families that are in a very dire situation. Right. Let's talk about the commute for a second. So what would the commute be for... Um, you know, some, some of the various milestones. So I guess getting downtown for some people to work downtown, although I think that, you know, that's a, a smaller percentage of people now. But so getting downtown, getting, let's say, to the schools uh, around Bathurst and Lawrence or even Thornhill, like what are some of the milestones? And then also, what about, what's the plan for kids who are younger, you mentioned before, who yes. aren't going to be able to, to get on the bus uh, yes. and travel? So those two things. So to answer the former question first, you know, the older kids, uh, again, uh, I'm also not a chinuch expert, and I would leave it to those mumchim to decide what is the 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 cutoff age where it, you have to keep kids locally because it's not attractive, it's not fun. And Baruch Hashem, we have kids too, and this is something we have to think about. Uh, I would surmise it's somewhere in the the grade four, age nine, you know, ten, somewhere around there. Kids can go on a bus, uh, you know, for an hour, not a school bus. It would be a coach bus. A and bus what's the difference? Why is that? It's a fundamental difference because if you're on a school bus for even 45 minutes, you're probably going to throw up and after a week you're done. 
Uh, it's extremely unenjoyable. It's bumpy. It's nauseating. It's noisy. You know, coach bus. You have bigger seats. It's it's soundproofed. It you you can dove in like a mensch. You can learn. Adults who go on the bus can you know prepare work. It's kind of like traveling on a train versus going on a, a conventional bus. So you mentioned dovening. Is is that going to be uh, is that is that an idea? I mean, I know it's that in Muncie they say absolutely. you know they have a bus yeah. where you doven. Okay, so that's we're not there yet, but that could definitely be an option. Addressing the schooling one first and foremost, I think having a, a coach bus or what some parents have already suggested is they would set up a carpooling system and they could even take turns going. Right, that, that that's another option that could that could definitely work. And sometimes you can even scatter the times where you try to beat traffic or go a little bit after traffic, and those arrangements would have to be made with those respective schools as well. So it's not simple, but starting a new city, no one said it was simple, you know. So so nothing's going to be just handed over on on a platter here for younger kids. They have to be local, uh, and and that and again, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast. There are many, many ways, effective ways to running schools much more cheaply without compromising one iota to the educational content or enjoyment for those for those kids. So, you know, having a gun, having a nursery in younger grades would definitely be uh, localized. Right. So that so that helps. So you're saying around to grade four ish, although you're not committing to anything, but you're saying right. at, at that point, you know, so so kids will stay local, so they won't be ha- won't have to have too much of a long bus ride at a young age and around right. grade four ish somewhere thereabouts. You're saying a coach bus, which is more comfortable, and the kids could could you know kind of ride in style, so right. to speak. And what what is the drive though? What is the commute? So a kid. The cu- who's okay, so so the commute without traffic, for example, is forty five to fifty minutes. And I've I've, I've done it. A That's few to where times. to Thornhill so to from Toronto proper. Let's say you're getting on the Allen Road at Bathurst Lawrence, and you, and you bust right up the four hundred without traffic. Fifty minutes, forty five okay, so to fifty, 50 minutes, minutes without on traffic. How fast you drive. Uh, when you encounter rush hour, it's going to be over an hour. It's usually not horrific, but if there's an accident and it's the winter, it's not going to be fun. It's going to take much, much longer. There is a GO train right right there, um, and the proposed Metrolinx train system, they've been approved already, this developer, to put in a stop literally walkable from this site. When I say walkable, I surmise about 10 minutes the other direction from 10 City Shul. So that's, a, that's just a dream come true. Now, that's supposed to be going in in right. the near future. So that's a longer term stop. thing. This would be the new Barry South stop. Right. So that would be a big, that would be a game changer if people just Absolutely. Walk. But it would get them to Union Station. So Well, uh, even so now, Richard, I mean, uh, if, if, if I just sent out our first uh, uh, update uh, last night to the subscribers, and in there I give a sample uh, on a Triplinks website uh, for the GO train leaving at 7.26 in the morning from the Barry South stop to Downsview Park which is a stop, the last stop before Union, uh, you'd arrive at 8.43, which isn't horrific. Uh, factor in going all the way to Union Station, it's not a subway, so there isn't a million more stops, but it, I don't know, it'd probably be another 15 or 20 minutes from there, so around 9 o'clock arrival time. Um, and that's part of the growing pains that I, I can't I can't avoid, but traveling by train is far more attractive, in my opinion, than taking a go bus, because you sit like a real mensch, and you you can sleep, you could study, you could read, you could you could do uh, you know whatever you want. The Duff Yomi. Listen to a podcast. Podcast for sure. That's right. the first item of the day. Right, right, right. <laughs> 
Right. Okay. So, um, so there's a commute, but you're saying this is something that's done in the United States and elsewhere, and people basically would need to get adjusted to this, and once they did, they would find out that it's not as difficult as they thought. Correct. Absolutely. And I'm confident with that for most cases. Yes. Right. So what is the type of interest that you've received so far? Who are the types of people? How many in general, if you, if you care to comment? Like, what is the interest level and who are these people? Well, interest level is very difficult to gauge. Daily people ask me, so, no, how many people have signed up? And I confidently say to everyone, zero. And I, and, and, and I mean it, because zero people have Now, what do I mean by zero? You know, we've had hundreds of inquiries. Uh, we're nearing 100 submissions in a short amount of time of serious inquiries, but those could also be people just kicking around looking for information. And, of course, that's the reality. But out of out of those names that we have, we've identified about 22 now uh, families, 20 of them young families with small children, you know, some of them in grade school too, uh, who are high potential. Now, the litmus test is going to be when we give out contracts, the simple intro contract, which is very limited in time. And when we hit that target number again, they become live and then they enter a proper sales contract with the builder of their choice in this development. So, uh, so about 22 families. Uh, since I sent out the informational email last night, I've had a lot of inquiries from some older, you know, empty nesters, as we call them. Uh, I, I guess it's been circulating. People are forwarding the email now because it answers a lot of the questions we're talking today in the Corecast, and, and that is, um, you know, people who are looking at, uh, you know, they're on a big house. They live on Viewmount or Glencairn, and you know how much those homes are worth, you know, 2.5 easy, and you sell that house that they, they bought in the 60s, and, and you just hit the lottery. And then you go up north and you buy one of the grand big ones for 800000 Well, you can buy two more. Or buy, you know, three little ones for the kids. Or invest the money or do whatever you want. Um, retirement income. I mean, there's all kinds of options here that people are starting to think and dream about. But to make this a reality, Richard, we really need a, a very strong response. And finding the initial small group of people, just a couple dozen people, is scary for a lot of people because you need visionaries. You need people who who want to take risk but not too much risk. You know, the, the Nakshon Ben Aminadav uh, story, but we need those Nakshons right now and I think we're going to get them. I, I do think so. It's all Biyad Hashem at the end of the day. But bottom line is, I, I do feel confident that if this takes off and we get the minimum starting core families, right? Um, and what is that? What's your minimum threshold? So the minimum threshold, we want to have 30 in totality, and that could be 20 families plus a kolel. Uh, that creates a real kiyumis. It shouldn't be less than that. I don't think it's safe. I don't think it's smart. Uh, the one thing I'm confident about in all of this is that if we hit that number, I do think it could explode. Because I've had over 100 people say, I'll be number 31. Right. So you you're saying that that's the kind of the tipping point is 30, and once you have that... Exactly. And what I know that you, you, you mentioned before that you tried it before once or twice and that it didn't have that staying power. What do you think was the issue there? And how do you think this go around? You've kind of addressed those concerns. I think one of the issues was, uh, well, certainly my lack of experience going through this process. Um, notably, the pricing, as I briefly mentioned, uh, and the pricing going up, even on the opening weekend when phase one started, uh, the pricing went up exponentially, and actually, the people who even subscribed to buy homes would only be chosen by a by form of a lottery on a Saturday morning, 
uh, they'd be like Zohar, you know, merit to get one of these homes. It was an interesting process and great for the builders because they, they were just selling the homes like hotcakes. The market has softened now considerably, uh, which is great for this project, great for, for new home buyers uh, and old home buyers too. Um, and, and phase one and phase two, which are built, uh, there's even some inventory. When, when one goes on the MLS, you can actually see, and I've been in some of these homes that are for sale. Some of them appear that they haven't been lived in. They were bought by investors, I believe. Um, and, you know, they're beautiful homes. And if somebody wanted to, let's say, you know, rent, I've had inquiries, could we rent there? Well, I, I just recommend, look at those listings. If people are sitting on a home for a year and it's not moving, they might be very amenable to renting it on an on a annual or monthly, who knows? Uh, which is a great way to try it out, to try out you know, life up there. So what is the timeline then in terms of either commitments or when would a house be built? What do those right. timelines look like? So I want to start sending out contracts next week to the initial group and, and, and uh, you know, try to incentivize that, uh, you know, for that beginning group. Um, but, but very notably, you know, in that process, you know, we want uh, the developer has informed me that next phase construction should be within a month starting and move-in would be September 2020, which would be the start of the following school year in Elul, which would be very timely to close, assuming all things are on schedule, which they have been for the last two phases, but I, you never know. So basically construction to start in July, yeah. August, and then yeah. move-in date the following year, September of 2020. Exactly. So it's a pretty, pretty aggressive soon. timeline, right? Yeah, so all your listeners out there, like now, now's the crunch time. This is it. Okay, so where <laughs> should they go to get more information? Uh, well, there, there's a website called timetomove.ca. Um, and on that website, which is a very simple, just a, a landing page or a splash page, uh, there's really only two other portals. There, uh, on the top right, there's a more info, which is a little cute slideshow. And as well, there's a questionnaire. If you fill out the questionnaire and submit it, then you go into the database and receive periodic updates as they come out. As well, by request, uh, for those who, who have uh, WhatsApp, um, we created a women's WhatsApp group, and then by request now a men's WhatsApp group as well. Uh, and those are a buzz, and, and pictures are being shared of people going up and looking at the homes, um, groups that are, that are planning to go up. The next several Sundays in June and, and likely into July, I'm assuming as well. Although they are um, open by appointment during the week, um, so there is a buzz that's growing, and I think that's absolutely critical because this project is going to be driven by by word of mouth uh, more than anything else. Well, it's very exciting. I wish you all the best, Bernie Moskov, Rabbi, Entrepreneur, Dreamer. <laughs> best of luck Maybe to you, Dreamer. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for coming on the Corecast. Well, that's our show for today. I know, so hard to say goodbye. So if you enjoyed the Corecast, you can find an archive of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and on the COR website at cor.ca. See you next time on the Corecast.